You're listening to episode 49, a mashup of some of the leadership members of our April sponsor, the WaterNow Alliance. Hi, I'm George Hawkins, past CEO of DC Water, founder of Moonshot, the professor of practice at American University. This is a podcast that helps you communicate the value of water. And what's more important than that? It's Water in Real Life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. WaterNow Alliance believes that local leaders hold the keys to our future. WNA is a nonprofit network of over 400 council members, mayors, water district board members, and utility management nationwide that champions sustainable, affordable, and community-based solutions to water management challenges. They are a catalyst for change and an architect for solutions. WNA helps to identify and overcome barriers, provide tools, training, project and policy support, and shares best management practices for local initiatives advancing community resilience. WNA is a forum for collaborative action through convenings and annual summits and a network for local leaders to learn from each other. Join this unique network of local decision makers leading the way to a healthy and resilient water future for their communities. Membership is free and open to the decision makers who vote on all things water, from policy to programs to rates and who are ultimately accountable to the public. Visit waternow.org forward slash join or email at info at waternow.org. I think just the simple notion of celebrating water leaders uh, who are bravely leaning into these challenges is fundamental and core and something that this country badly needs. And I just love that Water Now is leaning into that space. Well, it may be April Fool's Day 2019, but the Water Now Alliance is no joke when it comes to bridging local elected officials with the resources they need to better understand the crazy complex world of water. We were so excited about the opportunity to record while we were at the Water Now Alliance Summit and just as pumped to get the opportunity to present our 30 Ideas in 30 Minutes presentation. That is always a fun one for us. We couldn't think of a better sponsor for the month of April as this first week of April kicks off Water Week, which begins with water professionals descending upon Washington, D.C. in droves for the National Water Policy Fly-In. While they're there, they'll be speaking directly to Congress members about the most critical issues facing the water industry. The Water Now Alliance does this every day by serving as a resource for the local elected officials in our communities. We were so pleased to get to speak to four members of the Alliance who really represented the diverse range of issues facing elected officials close to water. Water Now Alliance Executive Director Cynthia Kohler really helped us understand the mission of the of Water Now and how it impacts local water utilities. We got a big picture perspective of how water falls within the matrix of citywide issues as a whole from Cooper Martin. We talked finance. Yes, we did. We talked finance and about the many opportunities for creative funding for water utilities that are out there and learned about impact investors with Eric Letzinger. And we ended the day chatting communication, of course, with AWWA President-elect Melissa Elliott of Raftelis, who has over 20 years of experience working in communication in the water sector. It's always fun to be around water nerds, no matter what part of water nerd nation they reside. We learned a lot from our conversations. We know you will too. So without further ado, let's get to the show. We're here with Cynthia Kohler, who is the executive director for Water Now Alliance, and we're beyond honored that you asked us to be here, not only to speak with some of uh, the fantastic people associated with your organization, but also even to give us a speaking spot. We really appreciate that. So, Cynthia, tell us a little bit about 
yourself and how you got into this role and into the water world. Sure. Thanks so much. Um, we're so excited that you're here to talk to uh, our annual summit. We're really delighted that that's working out. Um, so I'm a water lawyer. I've been a water lawyer for just about 30 years. Um, I've, for the most part, always advocated on um, uh, the side of environmental um, resilience and protection. And um, and then about mid-career, I was recruited to run for my own local water utility. And at the time, I thought, well, that's a crazy thing. I don't really, I'm not really a run for office kind of person, but um, I was talking into it and I did. It's been such an eye-opener to be on that side of things and Water Now really grew out of that experience. I realized that there really wasn't a forum for water utility leaders, the people who put their hands in the air and have to vote one way or another, um, to really be together and to be learning about and exposed to um, you know, what their opportunities are to be more sustainable, to be a little bit more innovative. And so Water Now really grew out of what we saw as a, as a need to um, really provide, an opportunity to really provide a forum for water leaders on a national level. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> um, if you've ever listened to an episode of Water in Real Life, you'll know of that course. we're a little mission obsessed. Yes. Uh, we love organizations that are truly mission driven. Can you talk to us a little bit about Water Now Alliance's mission and the audience you're trying, you're seeking to serve? Absolutely. And we love your mission as well. I think we feel an affinity with you guys because like you, we are utility fan people. Um, I just think utilities are overlooked, you know, underappreciated, and it's extraordinary the work that they do, especially mm -hmm. public utilities. Um, so our mission is to work with water utility leadership and help them expand their portfolio of sustainable water solutions. And sustainability is one of those words. What does that mean? We define it as providing water resources services for people in a way that um, protects water resources and keeps them and, um, and, and protects their integrity for future generations. So that's our mission. And the way that we do that is by really working with utility leaders, providing them not only with a forum for connectivity, but also with technical assistance. And also, we are also policy advocates. So we're not going to be in every single you know, state legislature you know, doing every single thing, but where there are opportunities to move policy, to open pathways so that those leaders have the opportunity to adopt, explore, and um, really implement sustainable solutions, that's where we're going to be. Awesome. You know, I feel like you guys really practice what you preach because I love how utilities could come to this summit for free. And when you are a cash-strapped or, you know, your budget for travel training is always one of the first to get dwindled down. And so that's, that's really important to be able to come to something like this and to mingle with the different thought leaders that will be in the room and, and not have to worry about that. So that's awesome. Um, and speaking of traveling, we, we travel a lot. We talk to a lot of people. So we see the whole spectrum of communication in the water sector, you know, some, some the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will. So what is your take on, on that and the communication that's happening in the water sector right now? And do you think local leaders recognize the critical role that it plays I think that's a great question, and I think this is part of why we're so interested in what you guys do. You know, we think your podcast is wonderful, and the focus on communication, it's its incredibly important. So what I'm seeing is that we are in a moment of transition. Um, and it's something we're trying to facilitate, and we want to work with you, actually, as much as possible, because the water utility world, especially the public side, has been all about, let's keep our heads down, let's be invisible, we're just doing our job. You know, we're moving, you know, whether it's water service providers or sanitation 
irrigation providers or stormwater managers. We're just doing our job, and we're all about the pipes under the ground. And I think what we're seeing now is how critically important, how vital it is for the public to understand, you know, who these utilities are and how they serve the communities and how it is so critically important. So I wouldn't say we're there yet, but I'm beginning to see an openness in the water utility space for there to be more conversation with um, you know, ratepayers, not just residential ratepayers, but businesses, and really understanding how vitally important it is to be transparent. One thing that we say to water utility leaders all the time is trust your consumers. Yes, it's complicated. Yes, it's, it can be challenging, but people get it. They understand that water, sanitation, these are vital resources, and if you level with them and if you speak to them in a way that they can hear, not everything has to be jargon, um, you're going to create a reservoir of trust in your community and really build a relationship that's going to make a difference over time. Yeah, I like that reservoir of trust. Yeah, and just because you're not on their radar all the time because everyone's got busy lives and are doing their own thing, that doesn't mean that they don't care. And yeah. so we need to understand that, you know, just because we're not trending doesn't mean that we can't talk about what we need to talk about and still make an impact. You engage with a slightly different audience than we do. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you see boots on the ground related to engaging with citizens? How is Water Now Alliance serving as a communication resource? Great questions. I think the biggest challenge for decision makers, well, let me back up. A lot of water decision makers don't think that they're water decision makers, right? They right. think that they're city council members because they are, yes. right? So people like me, I ran to be on a water district board. So, okay, if you're a water district board member, you're talking to people about water. Your campaign is about water. You're keeping in touch with your constituents, theoretically, about water. The vast majority of water service providers, whether it's drinking water, wastewater, strong water, they are city council members. They are, you know, um, appointed members of commissions. They are county supervisors, and they may have run because they care about schools or potholes or homelessness or economic development and they get to office and they're like, whoa, I'm a utility director. I had no idea. So that is a hugely challenging thing when it comes to communicating with constituents. So um, part of what we're trying to do is so we actually have a whole workshop on communications. You know, how do you talk to ratepayers? You know, bringing water again up out of the ground, up out of those pipes and, you know, mm -hmm. into people's, you know, um, not necessarily their living rooms, but maybe to their community <laughs> events, you know, yeah, and you to go. your city council meetings and you know you know really becoming so becoming more public you know and more more available and part of what we try to do is help those city council members those um, county supervisors say you know what water is so critically important to all the other things you care about whether it's sustainability or economic development you know or transit you know transportation almost every part of your community touches this so we're trying to help them um, make those connections for their constituents well, I like that you raised the point of, of getting out there and communicating more because we're constantly talking about this uh, idea of consistent commu consistent communication and how important that is. Uh, to We feel like a broken record uh, on many days. But how important is really instilling that belief and mantra into your organizational culture? And once we get comfortable with consistency, what are some of the most effective communication tools we can use to really find out like what people care most about? 
So I'm actually a huge believer in polls and focus groups. I mean, they can be expensive, but they don't have to be. There's a lot of really inexpensive ways to do that. So, you know, for example, if you're a Denver water, you can really invest in a big way in focus groups and you'll get a lot of great information. But if you're a smaller town, you can do, um, you know, there are all sorts of poll everywhere surveys. But really, if you really want, we have found that if you want to know what people think, you need to ask them and they will tell you. Uh, (laughs) A little pizza and some opinions fly. It is so. So true. I mean, we've found that even, you know, $5 gift cards to wherever. And um, but um, and people want to be asked, right? Because whether they think about it every day or not, they are using water all day, every day, Um, you know, whether it's, you know, for one purpose or another and um, really being in touch with your constituents and, you know, talking to them about these things is so important. So I do think that there is no silver bullet, I think it's silver buckshot. You've gotta be using all the tools available to you. So in some communities, it's gonna be next door. Do you guys do next door? It's like very big in some places. Um, In some places, it's Facebook. In other places, it's, um, you know, other kinds of social media. And frankly, bill inserts, still good. They are. Still yes. good, right? And websites, um, you know, our water Those district. need improvement, but they're still very useful. <laughs> they do yeah. need improvement. And the more that you can make them interactive, mm-hmm. I'll just do a shout out to our friends at Molten Niguel in Southern California. Okay. What they do, and they're a medium size, you know, not a Denver water, not a lot of resources. Um, so June Lopez, the amazing general manager there, she's basically deputized her entire 100, 110 person staff, and they're all community public relations people. And when they go out, you know, they are ambassadors for the district and they have what they call the molten cam. Have you guys seen the molten cam? No. The molten cams are basically um, everybody's smartphone and they will <laughs> literally just do little videos on the street like here I am with, you know, Joe um, you know, maintenance person who's fixing this main break. What's going on, Joe? And then they post these videos on the website and Perfect. their people love them because they're yeah. so authentic, you know? Yes. And, you know, Mrs. You know, Smith will be walking by. Mrs. Smith, how do you like your water. I love my water. It's awesome. So there's all sorts of low-tech ways of communicating. It's like I say, it's all about the silver buckshot. You've got to be using it all and using what works in your community. One of the questions, if, uh, as you said, you've listened to some of our, of our podcasts, you know that we ask everyone kind of this big question at the end. And, um, you know, Arianne and I working for utilities, Sometimes we would have people say to us, like, what difference does it make if I make this change? Not from within the utility, but when we were doing some of our outreach and education work, like, what difference does it make if I make this change? Um, I'm just one person. It's not going to make a difference. And obviously, we wholeheartedly disagreed with that because we believe that change can be contagious. So for you, what is the call to action that you believe that you're, well, that you're most passionate about that you believe could change the world? I love that question. The the thing the things that that I think can change the world that Water Now is really dedicated to, and not just me, but our team. Um, we think the thing that can change the world are these localized on-site systems. We are all in on those. And look, we've got. I'm I'm a fan of centralized infrastructure. I'm you know it's there. We're, we need it. Um, but we have built an enormous amount of centralized infrastructure, according to you know an expert at the university. University of Arizona, we've built a dam a day, more or less, <laughs> since the Declaration of Independence was signed. So we've got that. Um, the next huge opportunity really is these localized on-site systems. We have a good friend that says, for example, you know, other people look at a building in the state, they see concrete, I see a sponge. There are sponges all over the place. 
And these lo the potential for us to use localized systems, both for water supply, water treatment, stormwater management, it is huge. It is the massive untapped resource. And so that's where the point that you just made about, you know, what can one person do? One person's, you know, low water landscaping, that's a mini reservoir. One person's, you know, putting in a bioswale or permeable pavements, you are now making a huge difference in terms of stormwater management. The more we can take these localized solutions and, and really scale them, um, the more that we are going to have a diversified, sustainable water portfolio. We're psyched. That's awesome. I love being able to kind of look at water in a whole new light. We actually got the opportunity to tour uh, San Francisco Public Utilities Commission while we were there for Imagine H2O, and they're doing some really exciting things related to that very idea and treating their building like a sponge. At the San Francisco PUC, um, they had these wetlands, and in wetlands in Texas, these are acres and acres and acres and large and wildlife everywhere. Wetlands in San Francisco were raised beds that were connected to the reuse water system. I'm like, okay, I can yeah. see that. I like it. I dig it. Exactly. I see how I can do that at home now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's so important to come to summits like these and to go to different cities than the one that you're in just to really kind of open your mind and, and begin to see things from a different perspective and to even words that you feel like you know mm -hmm. and that are common to you and then seeing them Come redefined for you right in front of your eyes. Yeah. So really appreciate that. The whole concrete jungle is now going to be a jungle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's why maybe I'll just make one last pitch for tap into resilience. That's our new initiative. Oh, and the idea of Sure. The idea of tap into resilience is to be a resource to really help local utilities and local city council members and, you know, county commissioners really like go to a place and, you know, get the resources and information and experts they need. So this whole idea of using these localized distributed systems, it's really hard to find, you know, who's doing what and what does it cost yeah. and does it really work? So we're trying to create this website as an interactive hub. So first there's resources, the kinds of things you always find on websites, but beyond that, it's also an opportunity to walk you through um, the particular issues that are most relevant to your community because it's one thing to say, go do these things on large scale. It's another thing to say, we're going to really help you work through those issues mm -hmm. because, you know, it's not as simple as just go do it. Yeah. Um, so a piece of this that we're really excited about is our toolkit. There's going to be videos and fact sheets, but there's also going to be next month, hopefully, um, we're going to have the ask, ask the experts. So if you want... Nice. Some a little bit of pro bono time from a bond council or a CPA or an auditor or financial advisor, we're going to hook you up because mm -hmm. we think it's not enough to just like be a passive resource. We really want to be available to you. And WaterNow also has as part of that our project accelerator so that we can come and provide you with whatever support you need to get yourselves going. So the idea is really to create that connectivity in communities. You know, for example, we, we are just having a session upstairs and I just learned today that there's a community in Texas that is doing very cool things that I knew nothing about. And so we're going to make them a case study. So the idea right. is for this to be a growing, living resource. Well, that made me think of two things. Number one, I love the idea of doing case studies because utilities are so um, just like a big family, like a big community. We like to know what other people are doing and see like, can I do that? Can I not do that? Or, or maybe I could do this part, but not that part. And so that idea of creating kind of this a library of case studies for people to go back and look at and say, oh, okay, this has been done. Uh, I think that's great. Um, another thing in terms of thinking about some of those examples uh, that you were talking about, do you ever find that some cities are challenged with putting some of those new innovations into place because of 
antiquated pieces of policy or legislation that are on the books. I think you both made a really interesting point. Some of it's just culture, right? It's like we haven't done that, um, so we don't want to do that because we know what really works. So there's a cultural thing, but there are also antiquated policies. I mean, I we won't have don't have time for this whole story, <laughs> but some places in some places, um, gray water using gray water is actually illegal at the state yes, level. Yeah. So you know, I would argue like that is an antiquated situation we are now we now know a lot about how to do this and so there are ways of using gray water you know in residential and business um you know situations that is completely safe totally appropriate it's like anything else it's just a matter of putting into place and then other things are unintended so for example in california gray water is legal um and we were trying to implement a little gray water pilot in one community and it took us three months to work through the differences between the environmental quality department Department and the community development department, and there's no bad guys here, right? Everybody's got a job to do, but it all came down to a valve, and were you going to have a one-inch valve or a two-inch valve, oh and I will spare you, but it, this, it took three months to work out, and we got there. <laughs> But those are the kinds of things. It took only three months. <laughs> that could have gone on much longer. And we worked it out. But that is the value of organizations like Water Now and others of our colleagues that are working, helping to work through these issues. Because that's the kind of policy barrier you need to clear away, and it's completely doable. But the cultural issue is not a small one. So again, one maybe quick story, mm -hmm. just from home. Um, my utility was thinking about um, a desalination facility, which is, I, you know, it's great technology, you know, no problems there, but super expensive for one relatively small utility to be doing on its own. And the issue wasn't legal. It was just the culture of our staff at the time that was like, I know how much water I'm going to get out of a desal facility. I don't know if I'm going to get you know, that same performance from conservation. So just to fast forward from 14 years ago, we are now, you know, in our community using roughly more than 10,000 acre feet less a year without desal. We basically created a, a new reservoir entirely through fairly, you know, ordinary conservation measures. Yeah, it's the low-hanging fruit in terms of, conser uh, in terms of just... Uh, sustaining your water supply, and and that's important. And so, and I, that's one thing that I need. I think needs to be communicated in a different way, oftentimes to um, elected officials or decision makers, because so many times it only get the story of conservation only gets told through this lens of it's an environmental thing, or it's right, you know. And so, and right. then you're right thing to do. so you're not engaging <laughs> some of your less environmentally inclined. Uh, constituents and and really it, it yes there is a significant part of it that has to do with that but it's also a huge economic component and of it's, course it's also like look at the amount of money that was saved by not having to create a desal plant and you're still meeting the same level of demand hundreds so. hundreds of million i mean not hundreds but you know tens of millions of dollars yeah. yes yeah. in the end it really that was the way we went it was primarily and you know a straight up affordability um, decision, but this really gets back to the work that you guys do, right? Because how were we successful, and how have all communities been successful with conservation? You cannot distinguish between your conservation efforts and your communication efforts because you are, in the most fundamental way, you are partnering with your constituents, <clears throat> whether it's your business constituents or your residential constituents, right? Because you can go out and build a new pipeline or build a desalination facility, and you're just doing that. You're doing your engineering thing, and you're doing that. The, the efficiency piece is all about the partnership, and that comes down to really 
you know, that is all about communication. How are you reaching folks? What right. we have found is the most effective tools are humor and directness, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, humor welcome. and directness. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> right? Humor and directness. I mean, you know, this gets back to what I was saying earlier about just trusting your constituents. Bring them in. They don't need to know every single detail about every single thing because, you know, then they'll just, you know, nod off. But you can definitely bring them in at the level that's appropriate. So you need a way of, you know, the way they do at Moulton and other places, you need a way of really talking to people and meeting them where they live. Yeah. And this yes. mindset, this constituent mindset, especially around conservation, because we, and this is the other big communication change that we see, we as an industry, and this is everywhere in the country, we have taught our constituents to think of water as a commodity. You buy more, you pay more. And so this change in thinking where you're going to pay more even when you're losing, using less, it's totally understandable why that irritates people. Yeah. <laughs> but that's where we're going, right? Because it is the using less that is actually making us more resilient. So if... Um our listeners right now are fired up and they want to get more access to the resources and to the benefits of being a member of Water Now Alliance. What do they do to get involved? Easiest thing is um, check out the Water Now Alliance website or just go directly to Tap into Resilience. Those are linked websites. So the resources are right there. If you want to get in touch with us directly, info at waternow.org is a great way to reach us. Perfect. Well, we definitely appreciate you. Um, allowing us to be a part of this, uh, of the summit, and for giving us an opportunity to speak about the thing that we love most to this um, room full of decision makers and directors, and we appreciate that. And we also appreciate you, uh, or the Water Now Alliance, being a sponsor for, for us as well for the podcast. So we're delighted for spending time with us today. Thanks so much for having us. We're looking forward to doing lots more of this with you. We are here with Cooper Martin, who is the Director of Sustainability and Solutions at the National League of Cities, but also one of WaterNow's Leadership Council members. So thanks for being us with us today, Cooper. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little more about the National League of Cities and the partnership between that organization and WaterNow Alliance. Yeah, sure. So the National League of Cities, we are the nation's oldest and largest association representing city issues. So we're a member-driven organization. All of a city, when they become a member, is, is a member of ours. We typically work with mayors and council members at our events, uh, but we also work with a lot of city staff across all different city departments. Um, and we represent cities large, small, and everything in between. Currently, New York is our largest member, um, and I've checked recently, Thurmond, West Virginia, with a population of just under 10, is apparently our smallest right. member. Wow. I don't personally know anyone from Thurmond, <laughs> um, but, but it's always interesting, uh, and it's been a real educational opportunity for me uh, personally just to learn about the diversity of cities, how they're structured, city issues uh, sure. across the country. Um, and so then within that, we do everything that cities do, everything from uh, infrastructure to public safety to economic development, um, early childhood education as a program, veterans homelessness as a program. And as you mentioned, I, I help to run our sustainability work. Um, and that's work to educate, uh, work to provide resources, uh, work to provide technical assistance and actually work hand in hand with some cities uh, to achieve some of their own locally determined sustainability goals. Um, and being a part of the Water Now Alliance was actually one of the first things I did uh, about five years ago when I started with uh, the National League of Cities. Cool. Um, so 
I knew coming into the job that water was important, that it was going to be a growing concern for cities, mm-hmm. uh, both financially and obviously just for you know, the fact that water is life. It's, it's, it's absolutely essential as a public service. Uh, and so uh, when, when the Alliance idea was first conceived, uh, when I first met Cynthia, the, the CEO, it really made sense and it really uh, was attractive to me as a resource that we could provide, that we could uh, establish this partnership and have an organization that would be able to be more knowledgeable, uh, deeper into the water issues, deeper into the level of engagement than we could ever be as an organization uh, by ourselves. So that's what what really got us involved uh, from the outset. I love the collaboration. Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes. How is the National League of Cities related to the Texas Municipal League? Yeah, so the Texas Municipal League and all of the other municipal leagues, state municipal leagues around the country are members of ours. They're independent organizations. They set their own priorities. They have their own board. uh, But then the Texas League does pay dues and does uh, interact with us at the national level. If you're a TML member, are you then a National League of Cities member? Not automatically, but you have to be a TML member in order to be a member of the National League of Cities. Very cool. So... When it gets even smaller, because then we have the Texas Utility, Texas Municipal Utilities Association. Absolutely, that's a part of TML. <laughs> that's a part of the National League of Cities. So I love this. So Cooper, why is it so important in today's world for communities to be addressing and investing in water issues on this local level? Well, the first thing I think is that cities and you know communities have been doing this for a long time. They they have been making these investments, um, and this is a pattern going back many decades uh, where cities have been more and more responsible for uh, water financing. I think now it's something like 85% of all water spending comes from the local level. So this isn't something that's new, uh, but I think what is new is the water, the, the amount of water stress that mm. communities are feeling. And when I talk to local leaders across the country, it seems invariably they're either dealing with not enough water, they're in drought conditions and they're having real challenges providing drinking water, working with uh, agricultural interests in their state to make sure that that's, that balance is met, or they're dealing with way too much water um, and it's a stormwater management issue where uh, communities are flooding at rates that they've never been flooding before and you know, it, it's, it's something that no matter where you are in the country, you're finding yourself with new challenges uh, that you have to meet. And, and as I said before, it's you have to meet those challenges with local resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that you threw stormwater in there because, you know, oftentimes when we talk about water, most people associate that with drinking water. But there's so much more. When you think of the one water approach with water, wastewater, stormwater, reuse water, all of it. So. I'm glad that you guys are working together to kind of address all of those issues exactly. um, in tandem with one another. Um, so Ariane and I come from a world where our former utility director that we worked for started in the field, boots on the ground, but that's not always the case. <laughs> and in some places, people are elected to city council, and now suddenly they're also the water utility director. So that's something that's mind-boggling to us because that's <laughs> not really what um, our situation was working for utilities. So. How are you serving as a resource to people who find themselves in those kinds of situations? Well, you 
you've pointed out something that's mind-boggling there, and I'll, I could even take it a step further because not only are you <laughs> elected to this position and, and you're suddenly in charge of a water utility or, or water resources, but often that elected position is itself a part-time thing. It's unpaid, it's volunteer, sure. and all of a sudden now you're in charge of not just water, but all of these city issues. Mm. And so that's something that when whenever I talk about any issue related to sustainability, that's usually one of the first things I have to bring up. is like all of these people are volunteers. Um, they have side jobs. They're maybe an expert, if you're lucky, in one sector. Right. Um, <laughs> and and that's just what, what the, the reality is. So... From NLC's perspective, we have to meet all of those needs. We have to provide education to uh, a constantly rotating membership of council members and mayors who maybe are term limited, uh, maybe lose election and come back in later. Um, and so it's not just water, but it's it's everything uh, when you really get down to it that you need to be able to provide all of these uh, all of these individuals yeah. and, and identify who they are and get them convinced that the NLC is a, a valuable thing for them to participate in. Mm -hmm. um, we often have cities come in and out depending on whether the, the mayor finds it valuable at all. Sure. Um, so that's, I think, the, the real challenge that we're faced with. Um, and, and one of the reasons that partnerships like Water Now is so important, I mentioned before, uh, where, where we just need, you know, we're an organization, we're considered kind of big, but we're still only 125 or so full-time staff. Mm -hmm. Um, and we need these kind of partnerships to be able to go deeper into every conceivable issue that faces city government. Well, to follow up on that, um, these people have run for office because they care about an issue that has nothing to do with water um, a lot of times, most times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now they're local water leaders. So how does that further complicate water's communication challenge? Well... The communication, yeah, there's so many communication challenges um, from us to our members and then empowering them to be good communicators to mm -hmm. residents. Um, I think the most, uh, the most information that an average resident receives about their water is just in their bill. Mm -hmm. And so being sure that even the way that that billing information is presented, how the, the rates are broken down, how the monthly fees are broken down, and being able to communicate that clearly mm -hmm. is a challenge for a lot of cities, particularly as we've gone back and forth between paper and paperless. And, sure. and I, you know, it, it's sad, even my own personal water bill, I have it set on auto pay, right? right. So I notice it every now and then when the rate shifts a couple of months. And in DC, the rate has shifted recently. We've, we've sure. had to pay oh, yeah. a little bit higher fees. Yep. Um, but other than that, we, I don't even see it. I don't know how my, my bill breaks right. down between the water projects that we're doing and just the, the day-to-day -day operation of actually cleaning and treating mm -hmm. water. Um, so that's, I think, a, a tremendous challenge. And it's just a constant uh, level of engagement, a constant amount of work for council members to be able to bring the water experts in and explain those bills um, and explain why they're making the investments that they are in order to provide clean drinking water, to provide uh, flood mitigation and other things like that. Mm -hmm. Have you guys used some of the resources through Water Now Alliance? Like, I believe they have a communication guide that they use. Absolutely. Um, I, th I think one of the things about the Water Now Alliance is that our memberships overlap significantly. Mm. Many of the council members and mayors who are here are also members of the National League of Cities. And so you know, I, I really do believe that this is an extension of NLC's work, and that's why I've attended all of the, the summits so far. That's why I've been on the Leadership Council. 
Um, and water now comes to our events. So usually it's the in-person gatherings and being able to provide those resources directly to our members uh, that we have found to be the most effective. It's, um, you know, it's not maybe the most efficient to do that kind of retail education, uh, but it certainly is what I've found to be the most effective. Once you can actually hand uh, a member, a council member, a mayor, uh, a packet and tell them, you know, this is a, a resource that we've developed that NLC has helped to vet, um, then they're intrigued and they'll take it back and, and it works a lot better than just blast emailing our members for sure. So what do you think would be if you had to give uh, listeners a call to action, maybe they're not directly involved with the National League of Cities or with Water Now, kind of what's your call to action for them in terms of why they should get, why they should get involved and how they can? The biggest call to action, I think, is just to elevate the importance of water in your day-to-day -day work. It's such a high... Uh, it, it's usually a very large percentage of your city's budget. Yeah. Um, these are expensive projects, and making them a little bit more effective, using a one water or an integrated planning approach can be so much more effective, uh, not just in terms of the, the quality of service that it delivers, but in the price uh, that, sure. that it actually costs. Um, and so being able to just understand that this is such a big uh, component of your city's budget and it's such a big component of your city's quality of life and mm -hmm. uh, future, really, the ability of your city to meet the demands of businesses, the demands of population mm -hmm. growth in the future, getting to know your water a little bit better, getting to know your budgets a little bit better, your capital improvement plan projects, um, and just educating yourself on this issue, I think, is, is really the call to action. Um, because, you know, like I said before, we're all, uh, most of us are starting at a very novice level. Right. Um, and just getting, arming yourself with a little bit of information can really go a long way. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, so if people want to get involved, how can they do that? <laughs> just hop on the website and is you Absolutely. Um, both for the National League of Cities, we have uh, very, very, in my opinion, reasonable dues. They're pretty cheap and they scale to the population of your city. Um, and once you're a member, like I said, everyone in the city is a member. Your whole council, your mayor, your city manager, everyone can take advantage of it. Um, and then the Water Now Alliance membership is still free. So you just sign up, you're on the list serv, you're connected to water leaders uh, nearby around your state, and also water leaders throughout the country increasingly. Uh, we started in the West with issues that confronted the Colorado River Basin, mm -hmm. but it's been one of my goals and one of the things that I've been pushing for the entire time to make it national. And I think uh, now that we've been here about four years, that that's being realized. We do have nice. a nationwide network. Yeah. yeah, we're in Texas now, mm -hmm. not in the Colorado River Basin. Yeah. We've got members all over the, the East Coast. We have a different Colorado River. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we had a whole thing about that because I was like, we do not have a Colorado. Turns out we do. Yeah. <laughs> Texas has its own. We don't need your Colorado River. There you go. Something for everybody to learn, yeah. even after 10 years in the field. <laughs> Uh, so we're at the Water Now Alliance Summit, so obviously the focus of the conversations today are all going to be focused around water, but you've definitely opened up our eyes to some of the challenges that are happening, um, you know, across the wide spectrum of, of what cities are being tasked with doing. But so from that perspective and also the perspective of you're the director of sustainability, uh, so to me that signifies that that's something that means something to you. On a different level, what's kind of the biggest call to action? We're going to go big. <laughs> what's the biggest call to action, the most important call to action that you think could ultimately change the world if you believe that change can be contagious for others? Wow. Okay, we are going big. <laughs> 
Um, Don't worry, we ask all our guests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest thing for me right now is the United States is still a country that is experiencing population growth. Oh, yeah. And over the past several decades, <clears throat> we have used that population growth to sprawl further and further out. Yeah. And that's been a problem for emissions. It's been a problem for uh, infrastructure, not just water infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we could change a couple of things related to just the overall pattern of development, growing inward uh, within our city centers, uh, perhaps building a little taller, we would use our, our infrastructure more efficiently. Uh, roads would be able to be more multimodal. Uh, we'd have more uh, access points for the water infrastructure, but mostly we would have more people paying into these systems over a smaller geographic area. So uh, density is kind of a dirty uh, and, and conflicting word in a lot <laughs> of urban planning issues, uh, but I come from an urban planning background in general, and I think that as a nation, if we were to find ways to use the population growth that we have at our disposal for the next couple of decades, um, and focus that inward, build up existing communities, help to rebuild local infrastructure, roads, uh, utilities, that that would go a long way to meeting our emission reductions goals. It would go a long way to solving uh, the infrastructure maintenance overhang that we, we always hear about from the sure. civil engineers. So you can really start to tackle a lot of different problems and stack up a lot of different benefits just by focusing new population growth in land that's existing, you know, in, in urban areas that exist today, rather than continuing to sprawl into green fields and continuing right, to build right. new things on top of the things that we already have that are old and crumbling. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you for going rogue and going big with us <laughs> on that answer. But um, thank you. We've yes, we've enjoyed you. hearing your your perspective on this. I appreciate you spending time with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. So we've had such a great time at the Water Now Alliance Summit already, and I think it's going to get even better because we are now here with Eric Letzinger, who is the CEO of Quantified Ventures and also a Water Now Alliance council member. So Eric, thanks for being with us today. Oh, what a pleasure. Looking forward to it. So let's kick this off by you telling us a little bit more about you and how you got into this biz. Sure. Um, well, let's see here. I've got a odd career. I've spent a third of my career running stuff in the private sector, a third of my career running stuff in the nonprofit sector, a third of my career running stuff in the public sector. Love them all. Um, and generally believe each sector is like super duper at something and maybe not so super duper at other things, right? And the work that I've generally pursued with my career over time has just been at the intersection of each one of those sectors, right? Where each sector sort of is able to bring what they're super duper good at and maybe leave what they're less super duper good at behind. Like focusing on your super duper, it's your strength. So funding and investment is obviously a key piece of the puzzle to solve some of our industry's biggest challenges, but not everyone is a money guy like yourself. So impact investing is relatively new to the water space. It's technical and complex. What do we need to be communicating to say water utilities to get more to get them more eager about jumping in? Sure. Um, listen, this I, I would say the the least interesting part of what we do at Quantified Ventures is the financing piece. Oh, okay, nice. Um, really, this is all about full recognition that water utilities, water agencies, uh, municipal governments, as a result of the four thousand six hundred and twelve billion gazillion massive challenges that they have to face. Billion gazillion. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they have massive issues that they have to tackle, right? And they're only getting bigger, right? And so as they face those massive ta- uh, um, challenges with dwindling budgets, um, they've got to do two things. They've got to start to pursue innovation, right? As opposed to yeah. business, as, business as usual. We're not going to business as usual our way out of the challenges that we face. Um, but, but number two, if we're going to expect our public leaders to be choosing innovation, we've got to give them different ways of paying for things. Um, because no one at the, at the, in, in, no one who's a steward of public funds is rewarded for choosing innovation Mm. and we clobber them when we, when they choose innovation and it doesn't work. And the realities are innovation just sometimes doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? And so that's what makes it innovation. So we're going to need two things. We're going to need a lot of innovative solutions, and we're going to need innovative ways to pay for those innovative solutions. Mm-hmm. At Quantified Ventures, we're all about that second thing, mm-hmm. meaning when water utilities, when municipal governments are facing big choices, like should I big the, build this big gray infrastructure solution to manage my problem, or should I build a bunch of acres of green infrastructure the business as usual is the gray infrastructure we're good at that that's a public works problem project with a beginning and an end we're going to crush that here comes green infrastructure to perhaps solve that combined sewer outflow challenge that you've got and you're under a mandate to resolve green infrastructure um, has got some perceived or real risk performance risk tied to that Um, all we're about at quantified ventures is putting a model in front of those public leaders that makes it a rational choice for them to choose innovation over business as usual. Ooh, I love that you gave that example because that reminds me of the conversation that we actually had with Mayor Pete Buttigieg because innovation isn't always doing this super shiny new thing. Sometimes it's optimizing what you already have in place and that's really what they did with their their combined sewer overflow issues that they were having they utilized some smart sewer technology to optimize a system they already had and innovated in that way versus doing the tried and true, just rip it out of the ground and replace it with another piece of infrastructure. So I really like that you raised that point because that is, that's, it's a different way to look at innovation. So what's so exciting to you about WaterNow's approach that inspired you to get on the board? Oh, I, I got excited about WaterNow the the first time I heard about it. Listen, I think we have it's an in, it's an amazing field to be in. Listen, I don't need to tell you guys that, but um, in the sense that there are people all over the country um, who are the ones on the front lines being asked to tackle some of the most important infrastructure issues of our time. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're doing it, w- again, with dwindling resources, and they're doing it without the internal resources to do magnificent things. And out of all of that, you've got people who are just brave and are doing innovative things, and sometimes the innovations are wildly magnificent and groundbreaking and new, and sometimes they are marginal. That is all innovation, and that's all to be applauded. And the fact that Water Now is leaning in and trying to aggregate these humans mm-hmm. and bring them together and celebrate the joys of winning, celebrate the joys of advancing the ball and being with each other to commiserate when 
we tried something that didn't work and let's get back up. Let's rub some dirt in it and let's get back on the field. Um, I, I, I think just the simple notion of celebrating water leaders uh, who are bravely leaning into these challenges is fundamental and core and something that this country badly needs. And I just love that water now is leaning into that space. So in the water communication world, we talk a lot about the importance of communicating to customers or businesses, but utility decision makers are also a key audience we need to get on board. So how does Water Now address communicating with that audience? Listen, I, I, I think they're they're the core message or they're, they're a big piece of the core target audience. I mean I think utility managers, uh, given what given the highly regulated ball games that they have to operate into, um, they to approach and work with utility leaders, I think you got to start with actually just true empathy, mm. right? It is like really complicated and they know it's like, it's like being a librarian. You got to know the Dewey decimal system, right? Like it's, <laughs> and you're kind of no good if you don't. And here comes all their customers saying like, where's the book? And like, nobody knows the Dewey We're decimal the system. The, Google. We'll Dewey define decimal. Dewey decimal system later. Right. (laughs) Yeah. When we go over sundials. They're looking looking on their phone looking for a new decimal. Yeah. Yeah. And abacuses. That's later. You're absolutely right, though. Anyway, all to say, I think to approach and work successfully with utilities, you have to recognize that they operate in a very prescribed environment. And and wishing that away doesn't work. Um, And understanding where those guardrails are, you've got to be willing to really take the time to understand the scales Mm -hmm. in that environment in order to play jazz with the utility players. So how is bringing organizations like yours together with organizations like Water Now going to help bring the kind of of innovative financing options that really get water tech nerds excited? Yeah. Well, listen, I, I do think it's an exciting one-two punch between Quantified Ventures and Water Now and the humans that are assembled through the Water Now membership um, uh, environment in the sense that what we do at Quantified Ventures is we are bringing a new source of capital to some of these vexing challenges to scale innovative solutions, right? And so that at the core, and I'll get back to how we do that, but it's important to understand the type of capital that we bring to the table. We source, we've got a broad network of impact investors, which I'd like to explain who they are because they're a little new and a little bit strange. Um, And it has, and you got to start with, it sort of has everything to do with the fact that we're in the middle of the largest uh, wealth transfer in the history of the planet. Uh, What does that mean? You got baby boomers with wealth um, who are, haven't figured out how to live forever and are passing their wealth down to their Gen Xer and millennial kids. Um, Still waiting for that. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) Well, okay, and so as that, you know, trillions of dollars moves through that process, you now have an increasing amount of wealth being controlled by Gen Xer and millennial generations, right? And what comes with that is a, those two generations have wildly different views as to how they want to put their wealth on the field. Mm -hmm. Meaning, 
Gen X, I mean, sorry, the, the baby boomers maybe were more comfortable with the environment of, let's see here, I work really hard over here and then on this side of my life and then over on this other side of my life, I have my favorite charity and I give them their mo my money and I get a quarterly newsletter and I feel good about that, right? Yeah, Sound sure. familiar? That's nothing bad with that. Yep. Here, but as that wealth gets transferred to the younger generations, they are less enamored with the, that sort of dual, two, have two sides of your life they're looking to actually invest their wealth into environmental, mm -hmm. education, health uh, challenges. Right. Meaning, and, and the, the, the good part about that is here's a brand new source of capital. The weird part about that is they want a financial return, mm -hmm. right? And so, but they want this second thing as well. Meaning they don't want the quarterly newsletter about the program and Ernie's doing pretty good in the program and everything's going good. No, they want the R squared. They want to know my dollar that gave me this return produced this outcome and I want that rigorously measured and reported to me, mm -hmm. right? And so all we're doing at Quantified Ventures is looking for innovative projects, right? Mm -hmm. Defining what the outcomes are that are meant to generate, meaning not science, but more, or, or not, not deep in the weed stuff, but more, how many jobs are we trying to create out of this thing? Yeah. What are the health benefits? What are the environmental benefits, et cetera? Quantifying those all, right? Quantified ventures, right? We quantify those outcomes, and then we price them. Ah. Right, and then we price them, and then we package those up into transactions that investors, like I was describing, can invest in. Mm -hmm. What's happening is suddenly you have a whole new source of investors coming to the table to to support and pay for projects um, in the in the water arena where they weren't otherwise participating. How do you think we get uh, some of the people that are more used to that traditional uh, mindset that you talked about, how do, how do we get them over the hurdle of like the safe status quo? Yeah, I, I, I think, listen, I just came off listening to your to your uh, uh, presentation up at the conference. And I think your message of keeping things simple and focusing on things that people that resonate, we try to describe our model. Like I said, the financing is the least interesting part. Quite simply, and remember, I spent a third of my career running agencies at the municipal level. Um, the tools that we have to pay for things are mostly municipal bonds and grants, right? Yeah. What does that mean? It means on the municipal bond side, we're borrowing money and you and if I'm borrowing it from you through a bond, you're just betting on my ability to pay it back. That's it. That's our relationship. Meaning, I could just take this cash and burn it in the dumpster out back, and you're not mad at me, <laughs> right? As long as I pay you back, right? Yeah. Right. And and then the grants. I'm a little mad at you. A little, you're a little mad. But my my point is is nothing about your investment is tied to whether the project that I'm actually using your money for achieves not just did I build the bridge, but did the bridge actually produce the economic benefits that I'm building the bridge for? Yeah. And all we're trying to do is two things. Number one, allowing the government to pay for projects on the back end mm -hmm. after success has been validated and measured. Mm. Right? So, yeah. so the government can now pay for success as opposed to what they have to do now, which is paying for everything on the front end and kind of hoping for the best. Wow. So let's say people listening, you lit a fire under them and they want to explore some of these options that you're talking about. Like, wh what's the first step? What do they need to do? Besides call you, obviously. 
Well, I, I know it. Listen, it's it, all of these are a process. Uh, it's a journey, right? There is. Uh, we we look forward to. We at Quantified Ventures are trying to make a market where this is a normal way of paying for things at the for for water projects. Um, that's where we are headed. And with every one of these that we're doing, we do them better and cheaper and faster than the last one. Um, that said, the and and we're using this model to pay for green infrastructure projects for building wetlands in Louisiana to slow down the degradation of the coastline we're building microgrids in uh, Camden New Jersey uh, we're built we're using this to pay farmers to build uh, on-farm best management practices to slow down the trickle of the phosphorus and nitrate runoff to downstream municipalities yeah. right so the use case well, I would call those things the use cases the use cases are endless. Um, so your, the question of how to get started, like raise your hand, raise your hand, um, and call and let's get started through that process. The process of figuring these things out, I will say is too complicated to figure out in your commute to and from work. Right. And then believe me, I've tried, um, but it's a lot of two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back and two steps so forward, one step pretty back. pretty par with municipal yeah. pace anyways yeah so they should be pretty used to that i don't care if they're taking a few steps back every now I and then as long as they're like heading in the right direction yeah. then i think that that's the best first step so like a baby yeah so well you've like gotten us pumped up about this yeah. whole uh, funding mechanism and so i really appreciate you coming in and spending the time with us to explain that and telling us more about it well can it's you, a can you give the the website or oh, yeah. any like actual sure we're, we are quantified ventures so we're at quantifiedventures.com okay. um, we've got offices from the bay area to denver to washington dc and everywhere in between and we'd love to begin a conversation awesome it's a pleasure to be with people who are as enthusiastic about this field as i am i think we can do a lot of incredible good with this model and the fact that i'm meeting people who feel that same passion for the water space you have a different craft. Your ability to communicate in simple terms is exciting. Thank you for being with us today. Well, we are incredibly excited to be here with a fellow water communication nerd, Melissa Elliott, <laughs> who leads the strategic communication practice at Raftelis, but has an extensive history working in communication in water utilities. So I'm going to let you take it from here and tell us a little bit about your water story and how you got involved in the water world. Oh, great. Um, well, I actually started in agriculture. And Shout out. Yeah, yeah. Go ag. And worked with family farms for about nine years and worked in the nonprofit world and loved that. But sadly, nonprofit world doesn't pay very much. Had a growing family, all that good right. stuff. So went off to work for um, the city of Aurora, and I was a public information officer um, there in Colorado. And um, then a drought hit, mm -hmm. and I got kind of reassigned down to the water utility, fell in love. Droughts are bad, but they really do hyper-focus your organization yes. all on one thing, right? And um, ever since then, I've been in water. So did Aurora Water for about 10 years, did Denver Water for about 10 years, and a little over a year ago, went into consulting so I could help other people tell their stories. Ooh, love it. We are fellow water communication nerds. We saw you just recently at the last Utilities Management Conference, and congratulations on being... Uh, AWWA's president-elect. Congrats on that. So 
What is, because you have, is it 20 years of experience in the water industry? What is your take on the story of water and why does communicating this need to be such a priority across the industry? Well, gosh, I ran, um, by the way, to for election um, to AWA president on, we need to elevate the conversation about mm-hmm. the value of water. Um, you know, back when I started in the water industry 20 years ago, heck, we could, um, we could just show up in a board meeting in the middle of the day and no public people were there and we could raise rates and staff could like high five ourselves on the way out and the board was all happy and nobody said anything and water was still really cheap and that has all changed significantly so we're seeing rates just increase way beyond what incomes are increasing Mm -hmm. people are paying attention now we've got a ton of attention on water quality crises across our country They have really long legs as far as uh, media goes. They stay out there. The stories stay out there forever. And I think we've got a trust crisis um, going on Mm. with with our communities. And so being really consistent and intentional about our communications is something we have to do over and over again. So that's my big pitch to water utilities. I know it's your big pitch to water utilities, too, because I've heard you all speak as well. And we have to get... Boards, commissions, utility leaders, engineers, really comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we look at the amount of money we need to spend on communications, it's so small compared to these large infrastructure projects and such an investment, a long-term investment, Mm -hmm. for sure. It's it's a low-hanging fruit. I like to compare communication. It's kind of the Occam's razor of the communication industry, meaning that all things being equal, it's usually the simplest answer that's a solution, and communication is just... The easiest place to start. Well, maybe not the easiest, but the the low-hanging fruit, like you said, the most cost-effective place to start. So, Melissa, what are some ways that your organization has worked with WaterNow to drive the communications effort? Oh, sure. Well, I actually got involved with WaterNow Alliance maybe three years ago when I was still at Denver Water. Mm -hmm. have kept that relationship going, and um, we were, at that time, really trying to tell the story of how you can do rate communications effectively mm, yes. and how you can get stakeholder engagement going, focus groups, let's test our messaging before we go out there when you're making large significant rate changes. So um, I was hanging out with these guys at the Water Summit last year. Sure. Um, great to be invited back again this year. There is something really unique about Water Now Alliance, and that is in our industry, we haven't done a great job of bringing our public officials yes. along with us on this journey. Yes. <laughs> and Water Now Alliance is really kind of filling a, a niche for us there. Um, certainly the American Water Works Association, our really big industry association, um, um, does have a program for public officials. But uh, it seems to be more at our big conference and one time a year. And I think Water Now Alliance has done a nice job of, mm-hmm. of really creating a way um, for public officials, elected uh, city council members to network yeah. and have that relationship. Yeah. yeah, that was definitely one of the things that attracted us when we first uh, met Cynthia and kind of hearing Water Now's story. And because you're absolutely right, we don't engage enough with the elected officials and get them involved and a part of the story. And, you know, for our, us as water utilities, which was our background, you know, we just, we can't continue to talk to ourselves. We need to get other people to be talking, to be saying our message and to be spreading that word because that's just how we, we amplify our message and get more people talking about it. So that was also one of the things that really attracted us to, um, 
the the Waternouse um, Alliance. But um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but maybe expand a little further into why you believe it's so important for utilities to really start making this cultural shift away from the previous out-of-sight, out-of-mind mindset. Well, I, I think there's, there's several main things. First of all, um, I mentioned the water quality crises that are top of mind. Social media has really, um, look, it's empowered our consumers, and they have a place to say what and when. Um, next, we've got infrastructure that not just needs to be invested in, it's frankly failing. So pretty much having a water main break is a almost nightly news occurrence in some yeah. communities. Um, we had Oroville Dam um, break in 2017, which freaked anybody out that's in a water utility that has dams because yeah. then they started getting a few calls about, hey, we live downstream in this. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on yeah, with this? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's happening. And, and our infrastructure is not, unfortunately, it should be. But for most folks, it's not as top of mind as the transportation infrastructure, right? The bridges, the roads yeah. that we all want to spend our tax dollars on. And for many uh, city council members that were elected, they didn't elect, you know, they didn't run on water issues. Yeah. And they get elected, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've got this big water utility. It's sometimes the most uh, expensive and, and um, valuable assets that I have in my entire community, but I didn't, wasn't even really aware that it was there. So we have to start telling that story. We need, our, we need our elected officials to do that. So that's what's great about Water and Alliance is getting folks to do that. But on top of that, getting that investment in communications. You know, I think Water Research Foundation did a study recently and found that um, I think only half of water utilities have a public communications person on staff. And about 60% of, of utilities don't even have a, have never done a strategic communication plan. Have never really thought through how do we talk about what we do. <laughs> so it's time. It's yeah. really, really time. Yes, absolutely. Um, and w give us kind of your take on, because we host a, with the San Antonio Water System, a summit that is for water educators and communicators in San Antonio. We're, we're hosting our second one. It's called Catalyst this year. And, you know, even last year in 2018, we had attendees that were saying, how can I get my city management or my director or my council on board with us engaging more in social media? Like, social media is not going anywhere. Um, it's here to stay. And, yes, there are... There are things that can go wrong with that, but what are when people kind of approach you with that same mindset of how do I do that? Like, what's your reaction to that, and why should the industry stop fearing social media so much? Well, I think the answer is people are having conversations about your water utility or your city, and you're not seeing them. Yeah. And so, perhaps bringing that forward. Typically, the people who are asking me about that mm -hmm. are already active on social media. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing that. So they're seeing the next door um, stream of consciousness that occurs. And next door is a 90% of neighborhoods in some water utilities that I work with being able to access and plop into on next door. I have more access to their customers through next door than I do through email addresses that the city yeah. doesn't have yeah. or text messaging that right. the city doesn't have. Mm -hmm. So being able to pick and choose. Now, I, I wouldn't, you know, 
choose everything at one time as far as social media. You want to pick your channels very yes. carefully um, and pick one maybe to start with and yes. see success. So I would say let's start slowly, but it's happening. It's not going away. And some of those statistics that we can show, like that 90% next door piece, are really critical. And that also made me think about how one of the challenges that we come across is because every single person uses water and uses wastewater services, is somehow connected to stormwater. I mean, because we really do impact every single person every single day, a lot of times utilities or associations or organizations that are in the water space feel like that's their audience, is everyone. But as we know, when you're trying to communicate with everyone, you're essentially reaching no one. But this there's so much FOMO related to this idea of niching down and, you know, focusing your efforts or being strategic about that, that they feel like they're somehow going to be leaving someone out. So how do you communicate with utilities or other organizations in the water space about the incredible importance of kind of niching your audience and who you're communicating to? Oh, yeah, that's really important. So one of the first things I introduce uh, uh, utilities that I'm working with to is stakeholder mapping. So we just sit down and have a conversation about who are all these people, organizations, groups, individuals that we encounter every day. So it's not just the general public. That's not that's not an audience, no. right? So let's let's narrow it all down. Mm-hmm. You know, I, sometimes depending on the issue, we might have 30, 35 different stakeholder groups. Yeah. And we we will then I, I make a quadrant. It's a really simple stakeholder map based nice. upon the level of interest and the level of influence they have on the particular decision. So you don't have to treat everybody the same. Right, there's yeah. there's different ways and different, st- and then that comes to the strategies. Mm-hmm. We develop messages for those particular stakeholders about what they care for, and we map it all out, right? Yeah, and so yes. you develop that strategic communication plan. That's a great way to put it because you're, you're not really leaving anyone out. You're just prioritizing how you're going to approach them. And so that's that's a fantastic approach too because then they can say, oh, well, I'm not like not communicating to these people. They're just, or this group or stakeholder, they're just not necessarily um, the key stakeholder that I'm going to focus on right now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes minimal contact is okay. Yeah. It makes you realize that, you know, we've got time for this particular one that we really need to manage really closely. Yeah. Okay. So I just kind of want to point out that you are AWWA president elect, a woman in communications. Woo-hoo. So I just thank you <laughs> <laughs> because you're giving us um, a voice, hope. Um, this is amazing. I love that. Um, this is the way the industry is going. This is great. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you for your leadership. Yeah. Um, so you've been involved in communication on multiple different levels and perspectives. So from the utility world with Denver Water to the consultant world with Raftelis to the association level with AWWA, having all these different perspectives and kind of seeing water through all these different lenses, what do you think are some of the biggest internal challenges that we face as an industry when communicating the value of water? Like, what are some of the ways that maybe we get in our own way from time to time that we can work on improving? Oh, I was just going to say we get in our own way. 
<laughs> from time to time. So, um, you know, a couple of, of topics that come to mind. Um, one is um, I've had an, an awesome opportunity to work on a potable reuse project mm -hmm. in my in my past, and um, we are moving more and more in some communities toward this, which is which is really neat. And and um, we have things like recycled beer that we're going to be um, in, uh, indulging in here later yeah. at this this conference. Um, so it's great that we're, we're reaching out and tagging on that. But sometimes in our own world and in our own space, the, the science and the technology that we have makes it difficult for people to commit to really simple terms. So I've worked with water quality folks that had a really hard time saying the word, the water is safe. Because in their mind, look, it's safe when it leaves the plant, and I'm in control of that. Yeah. But I don't know what's happening in people's plumbing in their homes, and so right. I'm uncomfortable saying that. But in the in the everyday world um, of 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 uh, just the normal average person out there, right. a water quality person not being able to say the water is safe That's because scary. of that caveat yes. is scary. Yes. And so sometimes our own science and our own um, words, I think, really really can make people feel very uncomfortable. And sure. so so we really need to work on understanding, you know, even the term lexicon, which I which I hear a lot um, in our industry. It's a weird word, but it's what, how do we describe what we do, right? And so we have to do this in a way that people can grasp and understand. Um, and so getting, getting out of our own way and really thinking about our audience is really key. Well, I mean, obviously, we could sit here and talk to you all day about this topic because this is obviously a passion that we both share. Mm -hmm. But um, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, today to, to spend with us and talking about a area that we are both incredibly passionate about. So I appreciate that. So thank you. Oh, it was wonderful to be here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Never miss out on future episodes by clicking subscribe or better yet, sign up for the Water Nerds newsletter at theh2duo.com forward slash newsletter. We also give you permission to slide into our DMs and shoot us your email that way to get you signed up as well. We are doing a ton of traveling, so please be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. Check out our profile with all our tour dates. Let's meet in real life. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that moved you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world. 